Action up. What up, y'all? Well, there he is. Hey, I got the new Davy Jones's locker blend. Nice. How is it? Is it bold? Is oh, it it's good. Smooth. Yeah. This is. I, uh, I, I think this is my. This is gonna be my go-to. Davy Jones. Davy Jones blend. It's an uh, excellent um, moniker for a blend of undersea, dark, nautically inspired coffee. It's a perfect name. Just like the Kraken, though. Kraken's awesome one. The Kraken is a good, just natural kind of a coffee taste. It's really good. This one's got the, the, there's a slight hint of a salted caramel. Whoa. Whoa. And I don't know if you've uh, noticed or not, but if you do, people, go over to theabysscoffeeco.com. Right there on the home page, you're going to see the Sultan of the Shutters work with uh, that with that sweet shot of the coffee cup and the, the hard hat and the, the weeds that we shot over at Lac de Union. Whoa, really? Lac de Union. <laughs> How to dress up the moniker of a lake that is, you know, it's a lake, but it's a lake. Yeah, yeah. She... Well, that's awesome. I didn't, I didn't even notice that. I'm going to have to go over and, and do that. Angelina, she's uh, had a couple times to uh, converse via text back and forth. What a really nice uh, person. Yeah, totally. So get over there to theabysscoffeeco.com, people, and uh, get yourself some wonderfully roasted Great Lakes area abyss coffee. Yeah, let's well, and let's support Angelina a little bit. Small business, local small business, right. doing this all on her own, and uh, she's got that really cool nautical theme, kind of a, like a dark nautical theme going, and it's awesome and good coffee. Not to mention, it's good coffee. You just mentioned it, James. Hang on, you're uh, you're freezing up on me here. Oh, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> How is it now? You're not freezing on me. You're looking pretty good. You're uh, you're pixelating and um, I'm pixelating too. And uh, I rarely pixelate. Now you're coming back. Whoa! I was almost a goner. Hey, let's uh, talk about some scuba diving. Welcome back to the Great Dive Podcast, everybody. You're here with Fancy Fins, Jamesy. <laughs> Fancy Fins. Oh, and you're here with Quick Buckle Brando. Quick buckle, Brando. Oh, I get it now. We're trying to segue. It's up with a B. All I can think of from this article is they talk about quick release buckles. Um, bastard. Son of a bitch. <laughs> well, one of the longest running debates. De- uh, debates and I would say like concerns for... Point of contention, I would call it. A, an argument <laughs> in many ways. An argument, if you will. A spat. Is the whole, what's the best fin? What's the best way to kick? Well, have you ever watched Chuck Norris or Bruce Lee? Hi-ya! That's truly the best way to kick. <laughs> One of the things that divers are always exposed to, it seems, is... The marketing of the bigger, better, badder, faster scuba fin. 
for them to swim easier, use less air, have more fun, look cooler, go faster. A, a lot of things that, I, I don't you know, in a way, uh, you know, counteract themselves, you know, when you look at going faster and being easier to kick and more efficient and have better control of a fin is just a simple piece of material. It's not a performance engine or vehicle with many different components of tread and power of an engine and a drivetrain and a transmission. It's, 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 just a blade on your foot. Well, it's a lot like a tire. A it would be. I would agree. Simple piece of material. But once you hook it to that machine, that's why a really well-tuned, high-performance machine requires a high-performance tire, one that fits the bill for its needs. Putting a, a, a set of really high-end, fancy Pirelli tires on your old jalopy jalopy do they still use that word <laughs> isn't going to on your gremlin on your 1974 amc gremlin <laughs> it's not going to give you a high performance drive oh well i beg to differ gremlin has been has been given a bad rap but you're right yes it's a piece of it's a tool well, so you well let me uh okay so let me let me reword this then so putting putting a really high-end expensive fancy tire on a piece of junk car versus some crappy tires on a really fancy performance sports car. Do they negate each other and you've, it's going to be a tire race? It's, or is it not really about the tire at all? It's about a, a really, it's a, there's a whole package that's got to work together. Yeah. And when you have that fancy car or you have that high performance vehicle, you're really selling yourself short if you put a uh, you know crappy set of tires on it. It's still going to work okay. It's still going to work great probably, but not as well as if you throw those, you know, low profile Pirellis that, you know, run a thousand dollars a piece kind of thing. Yeah. And if you went into the tire store and we're talking about these really high end amazing performance sports car tires and you, you walked out to the parking lot with the salesman and he saw your old piece of shit 86 escort that you wanted to you know throw it on he'd say how many you want because he's going to sell those fucking tires he's <laughs> well, a lot like a dive shop guy <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> in a way you, you're probably right but uh, uh he should say whoa whoa whoa, whoa. you're going to be wasting your money on these tires, putting them if on. If he's that. an honest salesperson, right? Yeah. What you need to do, you need a combination of a of a good tool and technique in order to get these things to really work. Good equipment, high performance machine. That's the ideal. That's what you're uh, aiming for. And I would say the reason people early on are looking for a better model and a better make of fin isn't because their fin sucks as much as. They're lacking the technique to move the fin properly, right? It, it, the reason most people find a fin is difficult to kick, it's because right. they don't have the technique to move it. It's not that the fin's too stiff. The fin's the right stiffness. It's just your technique is pushing the water in a way that that water's not meant to go, so you're working against the thrust of the fin, and your legs get tired. Your legs get cramped. 
Right. For every, you know, two feet you move forward, you're moving eight to ten inches backwards because you have poor technique. And in particular, in in the olden days, they taught a very straight-legged, from-the-hip, full-leg kick was, was the traditional kick for the most part. And you still see that out there a lot, James. Yeah, yeah, and that's kind of where I'm going. Um, so, I mean, I told you, you know, last week that there was a couple articles in that magazine that I wanted to hit, and, and one of them was "Faster, Longer, Stronger: Twenty Secrets for Better Fin Performance." And this is like a man. This is like some this this is from back in the night, back in the day when there was like magazine stands at the at the bookstore, and you, you'd see the you know the neon yellow letters of scuba diving popping up over top of you know uh, uh, maybe a sports illustrated or a or a swimsuit edition something or other right over there but they say in here you know like right in one of the big sidebars that pops up what is the best kick and he mentions that for most divers the best traveling kick remains the flutter kick but how it is best performed varies by fin type is what they were proclaiming back then. and so James, this is a great point. I mean, they're saying that's the best kick. And I'm not saying the frog kick is the best kick. The best kick is determined by the environment quite a bit. Most definitely. Yes, you could say, and the diver. If a diver is physically incapable of doing a multitude of kicks, the best kick is going to be the one he can do, I guess. But is it truly the best kick if they haven't really worked on it, they got bad technique, or they don't want to work on it? and they just stick to what's easy. Is it the best kick? Right. Well, that's. I think that's where things went for so right. long was this is how you kick. It's a big flutter kick. Kick from the hip. Keep your legs straight. Don't bend your knees. Keep your toes pointed way out behind you. This is very, very difficult. My legs are sore and exhausted. I don't have the, you know, the strength in my hip flexors. I don't have strength in the glutes. I don't have the strength in my hamstrings, my abs, my core. Um, can I get an easier to kick fin? Well, yes, you can. Rather than learning the technique of properly placing that water and utilizing only as much of the thrust and expenditure of energy that's needed, rather than always using the same exact kick. Right. When we teach, we use that old uh, tool-in-your-toolbox kind of analogy or metaphor. That's a metaphor, isn't it? Yeah, it is. that's what I thought. It's a I metaphor. Forget. I have a fucking name for everything. It's, it's an old Brando accent. <laughs> it's a corollary to my original. This is uh, <laughs> a statement of one of the Stoics, old Brando. Uh, yeah. No, but yeah, I mean, do you want to talk about the reasons why it's good to have a multitude of uh, tools in your toolbox? I mean, and the other the other side of it is that kick using your big muscles from kicking from the hip and using your quads and your hamstrings. Big muscles make big carbon dioxide. Carbon dioxide is bad. It's bad. Carbon dioxide is like Hitler underwater. I think Hitler's the only one everybody agrees he was bad. Every, every, you know, decent human on the planet agrees Hitler was a bad man. Except for his mom. His mom liked him. Mom, I mean, somebody loved him, and he was a vegetarian. I think um, a lot of vegetarians are like, hey, he gets a bad rap, you know? I don't know. <laughs> but he did turn us on to quinoa. 
quinoa exactly goes to quinoa. He he was instrumental in the development of the Impossible Burger. <laughs> the best kick, larger, stiffer fins. If, saying if that's what you have, usually require a slower, wider, and straighter-legged kick. Smaller, more flexible fins usually require a faster, narrower kick and allow a more bent knee. All fins, the narrower the kick you can use, the better. Why, he says, the farther your fins extend beyond the slipstream of your body, the more drag they create. But what we look at nowadays with larger and stiffer fins, you can kind of have two of the opposite. And you can have really large, long, you know, freediving style fins, mm-hmm. which are actually a pretty long, flexible blade in many ways. Yes. You can get large, wide fins. You can get stiff fins that are short and narrow. You can get stiff fins that are big and wide. What else can we get? You can get a scooter. I'm just say, fuck it, I'm getting a scooter. <laughs> <laughs> Which is when you've bought the most expensive fin and moved to the next <laughs> most expensive fin to the most, and you finally run out of most expensive to get, that is the next choice, is just get a scooter. But So they lay out in here, Brando, 20 secrets for better, pin, uh, for better fin performance. And this was like the in, instructional days of like scuba lab rodale scuba diving era and the first of these performance enhancements that they give us is kicking frequency this was written by john hardy john says okay There's a definite limit to how slowly most divers can kick without becoming unstable and how rapidly they can kick before leg strength succumbs to water resistance. Meaning in the olden days, what he's saying is if you stopped kicking, if you you started kicking too slowly, you would become unstable in the water. And if if you're kicking too often, too rapidly, you would eventually exhaust yourself. So you had to find that happy balance. And they were saying it's somewhere in between that 24 to 48 kicks per minute line. And this is in a time where I would say that the reason for this thinking is because in reality, everybody swam negatively buoyant. The the thought that you could truly be neutrally buoyant didn't exist in the late nineties, <laughs> didn't it, it? Hardly existed in the the late two thousands. It barely has come to attention of most people out there, even into the two thousand and twenties. Still, to clarify that statement, to be truly neutrally buoyant and balanced, you have to be able to stop moving in the water completely. Your fins have to stop sculling in the back. Your hands have to not move at all, and you have to maintain. A, a good horizontal position. I think that should be clarified because, I mean, the idea of neutral buoyancy was was around, and you had to take a test and to become an instructor, and even you had to demonstrate in open water. This is neutral buoyancy, but it wasn't a very good neutral buoyancy. <laughs> well, if that's yeah, the right because way most to put people it. Yeah. got neutrally buoyant 
in a position that was not conducive to swimming at all in a no. in a head up feet down standing or kneeling or buddha position and then they had to completely rechange their body to swim right because the, the way the equipment was routed and carried you know you kind of rolled out of that neutral position of right. flat and in trim Right. So you went into like the, the, the weight of the tank and the weight of the weights around the waist pulled you into an ass down position. So going into like a seated butterfly pose position was just a keep toying with the inflator and your BCD until you can be neutral there. Right. Now when you start to swim, that all gets jacked up. Well, yeah, it does because your ass starts hanging low and your feet hang low and you're. Your your technique is pushing water down and back, so you have to be a little negatively buoyant to overcome. But now, that. from the world we've come from for the last twenty years or more now, is we're saying no. The first thing you do is you find this balance of neutral buoyancy, hovering in a horizontal position with your equipment and your weighting distributed in a way that that becomes natural. Now you can have truly neutral buoyancy holding that position, and then every bit of motion that you do with your feet and fins is productive propulsion in any way that you want to move, forward, backward, sideways, turning. Yeah, your feet are behind you and at the same level as your body, or, you know, parallel to your body, moving parallel to your body, yeah. Correct, directly within the slipstream that that you're creating. good, yeah. Now, he says the bottom line here is there are no such thing as a single best kicking rate for each diver or fin, but it is easier to increase kicking frequency than the size of kick. Your experience with a particular fin will cause you to adjust based on its size and stiffness. And I agree that, that creating too big of a kick becomes counterproductive at some point. Absolutely. I think is what he's trying to say. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of work with a little return. I mean, and obviously you're aiming for the most efficient kick, I would believe, right? Why would you want to waste energy underwater? Energy equals gas. And using energy and working, making your muscles work harder, makes more carbon dioxide, which increases your urge to breathe, which translates to a higher breathing rate. And of course, CO2 is just bad. It's bad. Especially for a diver. It leads to a lot of problems, yes. So why you'd want to waste any energy underwater is uh, is a little beyond me. I don't know why you'd want to do that. So you would want to aim for the most efficient kick, the best fin for your most efficient kick. So speaking of energy expenditure, Brando, the next point he says is increased demands. And divers adapt differently to an increased demand for more speed or power. Some increase frequency of their kick. Some increase the size of their kick. Some increase their effort per kick. And most do a combination of these. The performance limit for all divers is determined by their fitness. For some, it is breathing. For others, muscle strength. And for still others, endurance. Whichever one of these factors comes into play first will define that diver's personal best. And I agree, you know, it's definitely a combination of all of those. However... I don't really see 
swimming underwater in 2022 really being a game of speed. Oh. The harder you work in the water, the less you have in return. It's like an exponential curve in in the decreasing return favor, you know. Exactly, the only way you can gain more speed on in diving, especially it, it, considering the long term of a full mm-hmm. dive, be it 30 minutes, 60 minutes or or anything, is you need a propulsion device that does not and cannot and will not get tired. <laughs> If you're going to try to swim faster because of that CO2, that, that downward spiral of CO2, especially at increasing addas and, and gas density, you're never going to beat that no. curve. And that's why technical divers don't use a fin technique combination where you've got to work a lot because at depth, the deeper you go, only minimal amounts of CO2 equate to large partial pressure of CO2 in your body, which equates to that snowball beginning and the urge to breathe. And I got to breathe harder, faster, heavier to satisfy that urge. And even, you know, below 30 feet, that partial pressure's doubled. Right. Let, let alone if you're diving to 100, where it's four times and beyond, which is all still recreational limitations too, which is why, you know, there still should be a strong demand for physical fitness in a basic open water class because there is going to be a time where you're going to have to you know deal with the effects of increasing co2 and to not have a good cardiovascular system to manage that co2 can very quickly put you into a dangerous place that's why we stress it so often right but with good technique and a decent fin you don't even exert yourself that much right good technique being key Mm -hmm. because i would say like over the weekend where we were down in glorious gilboa quarry over the weekend glorious gilboa with you know i mean an enormous amount of visibility i mean it was beautiful water this weekend even in the bad places it was still 50 60 feet of visibility it seemed so you could see a lot of people swimming around swimming by us and you can tell people that have poor technique because they need to change fitting techniques you know, everybody's nowadays that they're trying to engage a frog kick just great but then you see them but then you see them result to a really poor scissor <laughs> yeah. kick because they're not getting the, the thrust that they want, right? They, they need to kind of catch up a little bit. So they, they result back to a, like a wobbly flutter kick, and then they get tired from that. So then they go back to a frog kick to try to relax a little bit. And then they... I, I would never fault anybody for keep trying like that. It's, uh, the, I guess, the people that are swimming through with that giant flutter kick and their feet below their their body plane, their fins are below their body plane, kicking it up. And if they stop finning, they drop to the bottom, almost always. Yeah, and generally when you stop physically exerting yourself, if your feet fall, it's because you're, you're swimming negatively buoyant, right? And your body starts to, to fall in that water column. And what most people are doing is they're using their speed and their force and their perpetual motion to control either a great, you know, a great amount of or a very crucial tail end P 
piece of their buoyancy control. It's the motion forward. Right. John Hardy says peak efficiency. Divers do not breathe or swim as efficiently at the beginning or end of dives as they do in between. The most efficient performance comes after a warm-up and before fatigue sets in. Bottom line being, for efficient use of your energy, give yourself ample time to warm up and adjust at the beginning of the dive and be sure to conserve resources near the end. Now here I think he's saying that back in those days of the 90s, kind of like what you were just talking about, mm-hmm. it you know, if you're swimming around negatively buoyant and with an ill management of the distribution of your weighting, yeah, you're going to be using your fins to control more than just your your thrust and your your propulsion forward. You're using the fin for buoyancy control. So yeah, you need to kind of let your legs get warmed up a little bit, <laughs> right? And then like okay, get a now yeah. yeah, now I'm uh, now I'm doing good for a while, but eventually you're going to start to get tired, and uh, that's where the the dive is going to end. And this is coming from a day of. You're not really neutrally buoyant is the issue that you're facing here. Yeah, I think that's at the cornerstone of a you know a lot of issues with uh, people diving. It's it's the underlying issue of why a lot of people feel uncomfortable diving. It's a technique issue that at the very foundation of it is buoyancy control and trim. Most mm-hmm. most definitely, yeah. So it's learning to not just get the right amount of weighting. But have that weight distributed in a way that being flat and horizontal is the only way your body wants to float in the water. I mean, and the ability to balance yourself out. Because as you dive, you, you're going to lose weight, okay? Weight of the gas as you breathe it out for uh, us open circuit people. You're going to lose that weight, which in an 80, you know, full to empty is a little under six pounds. And if you're in bigger tanks... Bigger bottles with twins, yeah, like, you know, 16 pounds for 104s as you breathe it down. So that change in weighting is going to require you to change the balance of your rig. In other words, how you stay flat pivoting on that center of gravity, you're going to have to be able to control that. And we control that with body mechanics. With positioning. Compartmentalizing your legs from hip to knee, from knee to ankle, from ankle to... Toe. Toe to from the <laughs> from your, the beginning of your toe to the, even to the tip of your toe, like learning to compartmentalize your entire foot and leg and body is what we ultimately end up doing to correct correct that balance in the water that you're talking exactly. about. And along with your hands and arms on the other, right? End. Yeah, I mean, just it's positioning of your body and it's proper breathing and uh, distribution of weight and. Yeah, then you'll start to see a change. If you can attack that with the idea, I want to be horizontal in the water. And a lot of people, why do I want to be horizontal? Well, because in the direction of travel, if you're going perpendicular or anything out of perfectly horizontal, you're producing drag. So you want to be as horizontal and and streamlined as possible. Now, one of the things he mentions next, he talks about wobble, fin wobble. It's one of the things that, you know, a lot of divers have a concern with in you know, especially a fin that becomes, you know, too stiff for them. These fins wobble. Mm. Fin wobble. John Hardy describes it as all fins will slice from side to side, twist and wobble to some degree. The less a fin does this, the higher its efficiency. 
As a result, FinDesign can make a significant difference to your efficiency underwater. Bottom line being, fins that are least likely to wobble and thus waste your energy are those that use channels, rails, flexible sections, vents, and splits to earn a higher stability rating. Okay, I would say a fin wobble is a technique, is a diver problem, not a fin problem. You and I, yeah. I would agree with you wholeheartedly if if what i'm thinking fin wobble is is what he's talking about which is you know that you'll see people's fins like still moving after they kick or you know that little it's like an uncontrolled movement um and any anything that's not pushing the water back and then reloading the fin for the pushback of the water is wasted wasted agreed so, yeah, that wobble being that, you know, as you push down on that mm-hmm. flutter kick, right, instead of the fin staying, you know, flat and in control and perpendicular to the, the, the motion and grab water push and it throw back. it behind you, it starts to list off to the side, mm-hmm. right? And that's because your leg strength doesn't have the technique to hold the fin in the way that it needs to go, it breaks and lists to the side and wobbles over to take away the, the strength and the thrust of the blade. Hence, the, the, the fin gets a bad reputation for being too stiff. Rather than having the technique to control it and move the water in the right direction, with, in this case, often I would say it's a matter of this is where you should be using a frog kick. Yeah. You should be using a shorter stroke of a kick, uh, a well-placed stroke of the kick, rather than trying to do that big, long, dramatic, from the hip, straight-legged flutter kick that is going to eventually exhaust those muscles, and you're going to start to wobble because you just can't physically keep up that much CO2 buildup in all those huge muscles of your legs. You're damn right you're going to wear out. I mean, Michael Phelps is eventually going to wear himself out <laughs> trying to do that big of a kick, fighting that huge of a of a water column to, to swim through. It's going to break. Yeah, big muscles. Using big muscles is just not efficient underwater. But you could take that same exact fin on that same exact person, show them flat, clean, horizontal trim without dropping the knees and controlling a clean, small frog kick from the knee to the toe and pushing that water right behind them with a fraction of the size of a kick and having 10 times the thrust. Right, because all of the thrust is, it's that, you know, it's Newton's third law. Equal and opposite, right? And there's no weight. There become now. There's no waste to it. And there's no waste because on a proper frog kick, the water is pushed directly behind you. That equal and opposite force, you go completely forward. You're not having water go behind you and down if you're not in trim kind of thing with your head up. You know, especially with a flutter kick, you're pushing water behind you. Yes, that gets you going forward. But when that fin completes its cycle, it's directing a lot of water downward. So that downward force produces an equal and opposite force going up. So in order to stay at a constant depth, you have to be overweighted or not neutrally buoyant to any degree. And that's why when you see people stop when they do that kick, when you see them stop moving in the water, they sink. Right. And if it's a bat, even a, if you're using a, a frog kick, but it's not a good frog kick. 
Yeah. It's all about the control of the thrust of that water and where it goes so that you get the reaction, like mm-hmm. you mentioned, of forward motion because of the action of propelling that water directly behind you and no other way. Exactly. I mean, that's that's what we're aiming for, and that's what we teach people, at least going in that direction. And it takes practice, but it's a combination of the kick technique with the buoyancy control and the trim and balance. That all, they all work together to give you a, a very effortless movement in the water and a very precise movement in the water. Now, back in these days, dry suits were a bit different than they are today. Today, there is a plethora of nice dry suits, nice fitting dry suits on the market. In the late 90s, you didn't have quite the selection that you do today. You didn't have a plethora, that's for goddamn sure. There were no plethoras in the 90s. I think Stephen Hawking discovered the word plethora. (laughs) <laughs> now now we have it. Given the same set of conditions in temperate waters, dry suit divers breathe more air while swimming due to moving their greater bulk through the water. Of course, when divers become chilled, they use more air. So there is a point at which dry suits will save air. This is what John Hardy was saying back in these days. He says the bottom line. Yeah, but the biggest thing, James. You also should say all those little folds and everything on the surface of your dry suit creates a lot more drag. The fact that there's more more surface material than a wet well, suit. Well, yeah, no, no doubt about it. A wet suit is way more streamlined than a, than a dry suit. No doubt about it. And he's saying that uh, that's going to cause you to get tired trying to swim against that. So having a better fin and a better effect. Fin technique is a little more important in a dry suit than it is in a wetsuit. A wetsuit, you don't have to be as concerned. Dry suit, it's going to hit you a little bit harder. Bottom line being time for longer dives in colder water. Dry suits, despite their added bulk, will ultimately improve your efficiency by keeping you warmer, but have the better technique. I would say that the technique is important regardless of what you wear because the goal is always to reduce that effort and reduce that CO2 buildup. And when you're diving in four atoms of depth, 100 feet of water, only a little bit of an increase in CO2, and we're talking, you will find the effects of this in minutes. You don't have to do an hour-long dive in cold water to find out the effect of of bad technique. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean... Go chase down that uh, eagle ray for a photo. In you know, in in, in right. thirty seconds, you're going to be exhausted. Right, and and you'll see that happen too. I mean, uh, and even uh, I'll see a lot of tech divers will switch over to like a flutter kick to chase something down, and it's just uh, it's it's going to suck the worst the gas move you right can make. Like, especially yeah. going to, the, you know, I mean, we teach a modified version of that flutter that's going to give you just the, the power stroke that you want, that you need. But resorting back, and this usually comes from just mental mm-hmm. exhaustion after the physical exhaustion, your body's just throwing a Hail Mary kick to swim, right? It's the worst technique you could use. Yes. The other side is, a, is a, you want to cover distance. So you think, I, I want to swim faster. So you use a flutter kick 
thinking that that is any faster. But, you know, using those big muscles that we beat this horse till it's dead. But uh, it's exponential, right, James? It's to go twice as fast, you have to use four times the amount of energy. So it's exponential. To go three times as fast, you have to use nine times the amount of energy. Which we clearly start to see that trying to go faster underwater by physical effort doesn't make sense. If speed is your goal, a scooter is your tool. Right. Or, Or really refine your technique so that you can kick in a little bit more powerful of a kick with a proper technique balance buoyancy trim. So you're, you still move through the water, but maybe instead of, you know, like I usually swim around with a, a very, I don't, I don't even want to call it modified, but it is lower leg, my lower knee to my feet, and a lot of ankle. So very little muscles are being used. The, the small muscles of my legs are, are being used. That's my, my natural, natural right. swim around kick. If I wanted to chase that eagle ray, I would go to a full-on frog using my my entire leg, but the real exertion is still coming from my lower leg. Right. I mean, there'll still be some upper leg but movement. Minimal. But minimal. Minimal because you don't, you yeah. don't want those upper big muscles working that hard. You do not want to make the CO2 build up. Yeah, exactly. So, Especially if you're in a dry suit, Let's, which nowadays, now that we're in fall, it is dry suit season. And it's also fresh ball fall season, Brando. <laughs> I was waiting for the segue. I was going to see how he was going to do it. And if you really want to stay streamlined in that dry suit, you're going to pull out your lawnmower 4.0 and go to town. That's right. Leaves are falling down all around <laughs> us, people, up here in the Midwest. It's the season of pumpkin spice and making sure your crotch looks nice. That means sipping cider in a fall breeze and using Manscaped products to trim your balls with ease, Brando. You're magical with just rolling off your tongue. You're, you're <laughs> That's right. Today's show, people, is brought to you by Manscaped, a company here to make sure that your foliage isn't the only thing shedding its excess leaves. Heck, even Mother Nature knows it's time to lose the excess clutter for fall. Join the 6 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with the code TGDP. Do it, folks. And tell them old Jamesy sent you. They've got, in addition to just shaving, they've got a whole new, completely new shower routine available, Brando. Ultra premium body wash and premium ultra premium two-in-one shampoo and conditioner whoa have your skin feeling fresh and hydrated along with your hair they got that signature scent that does smell quite manly and good with that crop preserver and crop reviver ball deodorant and ball toner (laughs) It, it is a nice clean smell i like it you got to make sure, people, that your go-to smell when you're out on that dive boat is the top shelf and not sweaty balls while you're getting into your sweaty dry balls. suit and out of your <laughs> dry suit. You want that aroma to be nice and nice and fresh when you unzip. You, you, you ask somebody to help unzip you out of that dry suit after a, after a long day of uh, testing out some new fins and new fin techniques. You open up that zipper, you're going to want to let them... Hit those nostrils that you hopefully have cleaned up with your weed whacker with a nice, fresh scent. 
Go to manscaped.com, get 20% off free shipping with the code TGDP. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TGDP at manscaped.com. Everybody, Manscaped, clear out the leaves. It's your tree trunks. Time to shine. Whoa. Nice job, Jamesy. Brando, speaking of your tree trunks, time to shine. Um, also size matters. That's why you want to trim it up down there. Make it look a little bit bigger. (laughs) It's all about presentation. People. John Hardy says that (laughs) if you are a smaller diver, if you are a poorly conditioned diver, or if you are fatigued, larger, stiffer fins will degrade your performance more than smaller, flexible fins. What would you say to that statement? I would say that technique is going to affect you more than the fin agreed because i would say that very few people i'm not going to say everybody but very few people cannot manage cannot not manage a big stiff fin if they have the right technique and the right trim and the right buoyancy control and the right balance A, a, a stiff powerful blade that moves a ton of water if you know how to control the amount of thrust that you engage you can handle it yeah, it is cannot not manage. Is that's double negative, meaning that they. Would I know, but I already started the cannot, to, so I tried to. I, just, I know I was trying to figure. Wait, what is he trying to say? I'm not not misunderstanding you, <laughs> but at the same time, I'm also not not going to say that I should have worded it a different way. <laughs> no worries. It wasn't the wording. I was I was literally, literally trying to go like, well, what is he trying to say? He says, although they promise hot rod power, unless you've got the legs for them, long and stiff fins will ultimately cost you more energy and performance than fins easy for you to kick throughout the dive. And this is the old this, this is the old game of, of dive shop sales of if the fin's too difficult just get you know an easier kick lighter weight more flexible fin and what i'm saying is that's not the first answer you should be looking at it's not the fin I mean, it's the technique yeah this goes right in that category with i'm a, I'm a shitty breather so i'm gonna buy bigger tanks or go into rebreather because i'm shitty on my gas right um that you can trace that shittiness to gas 99.99% of the time, it's your technique. It's just technique. Your buoyancy control, your weighting, and your movement through the water is is poor. It's It needs to be worked on, that's all. A little work. A little work solves a whole lot of equipment problems. Now, he mentions the next here is power strokes and comparing the, the power stroke versus the return upstroke of the traditional flutter kick, which, again, this is all that was really taught back in these days. He says, although the downstroke of the flutter kick provides the most power, the return upstroke also provides additional propulsive power. For peak efficiency, concentrate on providing propulsion during both phases of the kick and if you're using that flutter kick especially that traditional flutter kick um you know a lot of fins 
you know, when you look at the engineering and the design behind them, and I'm even saying a lot of the fins that I wouldn't use, but the reason they design them the way they do with the hinging blades and the, the vents and the folds is because the leg is moving in two completely different ways. And if you're using that big flutter, <laughs> yeah, there there is a point where, yeah, you might not have the power on that return stroke, but it is often a more efficient kick because of the way the water flows off of the blade yeah. which is why we use an opposite thinking of well i don't really need to worry about that power of the downstroke on the flutter kick i would rather use the efficiency of the return use a lighter kick use a, a lighter push a lighter movement with easier muscles and always use that smaller yeah and not have to rely on the big power stroke Yes, you don't want to work underwater. So why all this talk about speed and power is a little it's a little counterproductive to me in the sense of they they're wanting to go faster and faster and underwater a you don't want to go faster and faster for the most part. But if you do need speed, it's good to have it there and and have it without working up a shit ton of CO2. That's the thing. Technique is going to give you the burst of power without the CO2 buildup, not, right. not a, like putting a fin into turbo mode you know, right. because of its design. You're going you're gonna to get that turbo mode by your cleanliness and your inability to build CO2. Right. The, the logic of thinking like, yeah, I'm going to have to sprint somewhere at depth is a, is a, a, a bad approach to diving. I think it's not, and when I say bad, I mean it. It equates to less return for your for your work. It's inefficient. the The harder and more you know, the harder you try, the more muscles you use, the less return you have. You become more and more inefficient. Yeah, and it's okay, going to so. probably ruin your dive, right? E- yeah, it's either, not that great. Right? If you if you make that big chase to chase down the whale shark, or you want to chase down the the, the school of eagle rays swimming past you especially if you're at any decent amount of depth you've probably just ruined the dive you've probably just chugged through a ton of gas and you're chug you're you're going <gasps> huffing and puffing afterwards like i hope you got that shot because you you're probably done or like you you really need a big spurst of speed for some emergency of of getting to somebody well you probably had bad technique that separated your team in awareness of the water, and now you're paying the price for it. That's probably going to ruin the dive. Right. And the other thing that's going to ruin the dive is that flutter kick is going to destroy the visibility 99-plus percent of the time. If you're three to four feet off the bottom and you're using a flutter kick, me as a photographer, I am going to be upset because it's going to be gone. And especially if you're like, oh, okay, I'm, I got to go after that eagle ray right now. You've just created an atom bomb mushroom cloud <laughs> right behind you as, as far as you're swimming. So that's, that's another reason. I mean, the idea is to push the water directly behind you, not behind you and below you. And up and down both. And yeah, up yeah. And, exactly. When you push down, you push it into the, the sand, the silt, the mud, whatever, whatever we're diving over. Right, and, and the, the big problem that we're, we're dealing with here is when you push the water down, physics says you should be swimming up. 
Yes. And then the, when you're pushing the water up, physics tells us you should be moving down. So you're using your entire body to fight against that, to keep yourself trying to move forward. That's using your whole body, your core, everything to control those muscles to keep you moving in a forward <laughs> motion. And in these days, this is why we looked at all this stuff like, you know, the uh, the kicking frequency versus leg bend versus size and flexibility and wobble and, and interference. It's because they knew that, you know, 60% of the kick went in a shitty direction. Useless. And it's useless. So that that's why they were designing fins with angled blades and folding mm-hmm. blades and split blades is because they knew that the general part of the kick was inefficient. So they were trying to engineer that efficiency or inefficiency out of bl- the blade rather than spending the time on the technique with the diver. Yes. Proper technique, man. It it can't be overrated. Which lends to his next point of, of interference, meaning Fins tend to interfere with each other as they pass at the midpoint of the kick cycle. Many of them behave like magnets with the same polarity and repel each other. They also spill water into the path of the other fin. Some rub against each other and some actually hit each other. The less interference each fin has with the other, the greater their efficiency. Now, he says that the bottom line here is to find a design usually a narrower fin that allows you to minimize contact and interference between fins. Also consider a wider flutter kick or alternate kicks that keep your fins farther apart. But it's not the fins problem. (laughs) (laughs) It's like take your shitty technique and make it shittier by widening your feet out or, or get a longer, skinnier fin. I don't know, man. I don't know. And and I know it's easy f- to look back and kind of like hindsight's twenty twenty. We look back at it now like, well, what the fuck were they thinking kind of thing. They were putting it, like you say, putting all of that thought and um, research into the idea of we have to design a fin that <laughs> that is made for a... A crap, kind of a crappy technique. Well, that's exactly what they've done is mm-hmm. they've put a handicap into the fins. And instead of improving technique, the, the for the longest time, it's been let divers swim around with shitty technique and poor trim and terrible body mechanics. Yeah. And we'll just design a fin around that. Let them have terrible technique. Let them look terrible in the water let them find a natural state of being head up like in a seahorse position right and we could just engineer a fin that allows them to have that terrible technique and still get some forward motion yeah let them destroy the visibility on every dive is the other part you left out because again like i say three to four feet over the bottom even sometimes more visibility is getting destroyed things are being destroyed underneath you and behind you with that wide flutter kick, make it even wider. And there's a lot of water going down there. Right. The, the answer is to look at Newton's laws of motion right. and, and allow physics to be on your side. It's science, bitches. It's science. Now, the next thing he says is leg bend. All divers bend their legs far more than scuba textbooks or underwater instructors teach. And in fact, it appears that kicking from the hips with a straight leg and toes pointed simply does not work. 
uh, I'll, re- I'll repeat that. He's, he said in this article in 1999, <laughs> it does not work. When the most efficient swimmers use the most efficient fins, the video recordings clearly showed the flow of energy from hip to a flexed knee to ankle to the fin. On many of the best runs, we also observed a snap to the fin tip at the end of the kick, which appears to be imparted by the ankle. Whoa, wait a minute. And that and I would agree that you can you can produce a nice snap. And a lot of that has to do with the material of the fin as well. But that little that little snap of the ankle and letting that fin bend and then go back to its original position, that gives you some push, man. Yeah, and just that little little whip of the, you know, engaging, you know, the the, the right. big toes, you know, at, at the end of that fin. Now, no, it, when you have a, a nice small like modified frog kick and you do that and it's almost all feet toes and ankles you get a very precise movement with just a a little bit of motion in your toes for crying out loud right that's all you need you don't even need to work your legs just literally you're you moving your foot right you're moving your foot and it's very precise and nice and then when you need a little you need speed or to cover some distance you use a little bit more of that lower leg. Next, we have the differences of the sexes. Whoa, wait a minute. I he have says, a contention w- with this. Go ahead. He says <laughs> women adapt better than men to changing fin kicks. Wait a minute. He says male testers tended to rock their bodies when the fins were wobbling, while the women tended to swivel their hips. <laughs> John says, men... can swivel your hips all you want, baby. John says, the bottom line here is that men can often gain more efficiency by easing off, straining less, and using a smaller, faster kick instead of attempting to muscle a fin. And I don't think that this is a sex issue. I think this is a diver looking to gain more power and thinking that they're going to get a faster, more powerful kick by using more muscle. And the answer is always the opposite. Yeah. You, you don't want the speed and the power, but for only maybe a short burst here and there. Like you like can't swim faster a whole entire dive and not think it's going to have major repercussions. Right. I mean, uh, yeah, we are men. We're kind of like when the only tool you got is a hammer, everything's a nail. So, yeah. I mean, Perfect, right? Yeah, there you we'll, go. <laughs> we'll just muscle it in. Fuck it. Doesn't fit, force it. He next says the smaller, more flexible fins put less stress on injured or weak muscles and provide usable propulsion at a lower energy level. These smaller, more flexible fins are easier for divers with lower body injuries or disabilities to use. But here's the thing is if you've got a flexible fin blade, mm-hmm. a, it doesn't something push. that's easy. Wait, 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 wait. Don't, don't give me Hold a I, I can't away. control myself with this topic. You know where it, it's I know. a heated debate because it's just been it's been beat to the ground and and the arguments are always the same. And it's been going on since like right after this fucking excuse me right after this article <laughs> i know i know i mean here we are we're in october dima's coming up mm-hmm. I, I i i know there's going to be booth after booth after booth of there's going to be this a new lighter weight more flexible fin and people, with a, a split down the middle of it <laughs> people listen if a fin is so flexible 
that the water moves the fin instead of the fin moving the water, you have a piece of shit attached to your foot. You have a redneck fin. You might be a redneck fin if the water moves you more than the, you move the water. Yes, if the water moves your fin instead of your fin moving the water. No matter what it said on the print of the ad describing how awesome this new lightweight, flexible, easy-to-kick fin was, you are actually going to move more and more and more, harder and harder and harder. You're going to put more and more and more work in, and you're going to. And it's actually a wicked downward spiral because when the fin's that light and flexible, the harder you kick, the more the water moves the fin, and the less controlled thrust that the fin actually has. Agreed. And I mean, what you're seeing is the power of marketing and and the use of numbers to paint paint a picture that really isn't pertinent to having an efficient kick <laughs> this isn't all this stuff we're talking about it's not pertinent if if you have good technique and and to move uh extremely efficiently underwater all the shit we're talking about you you don't even deal with you deal with technique streamlining newton's third law that we push water directly behind us to go directly forward that's kind of it right where all of this stuff is not it's the opposite it's it's throwing a bunch of numbers they've got from uh, machines that measure pressure and force and speed but not really in a way that's pertinent i keep saying pertinent. Yeah, well, well it's because they're trying it's not to, applicable because they're trying to dazzle everybody with the data thing, to make it sound like it's so much more scientific than it is but but if you really look at the science it's Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. And where you push the water is going to have an effect on where you go. And if you want to go that way, make sure that all the water goes exactly the opposite direction. It's that simple. It's, it's Occam's razor, man. The simplest solution is the best right here. Or the best solution is the simplest. Let's not cut fins and let's not do all this other shit. Now, the last secret that he gives us here is surface swimming. Surface swimming on your front is less efficient than on your back because you lose the top part of your more powerful downstroke and create more turbulence on the return upstroke due to the surface effect. The air-water interference also creates more turbulence on a body being moved through the water. Now, John Hardy says, avoid surface swimming whenever you can, but if you must, swim as much as possible on your back, putting your fins in a more efficient position. But again, that comes right back down to the, the direction of the thrust. Right. Yeah, you're not very efficient on the surface even if you're doing a flutter kick, where a frog kick, very efficient with fins on. Yeah, and you can keep those fins right at the surface, mm-hmm. pushing back together, pushing that water directly behind you, rather than pushing the water down at a 45-degree angle, you know, 45 degree angle while you're swimming on the surface. Again, you're trying to swim horizontally with the surface of the water, but if your kick thrust is at a 45-degree angle, mm-hmm. physics tells me you want to be swimming up to the moon. Exactly, at a opposite 45-degree right. angle, right? It's not a rocket launch. I don't know how many, how many more ways we can kind of explain this. When it, when it like clicks in your brain that how simple this, this is, really, how simple it should be, it'll make you like bang your head against the walls. Why all these numbers? Why all this stuff we're talking about? 
we're trying to use equipment to overcome a technique problem. Absolutely. And that's so prevalent in the scuba industry. Well, it's not on the Great Dive Podcast, people. We're here to give you the truth, justice, and the scuba way. <laughs> You're super, super scuba man, James. That's right. And you probably don't need 10 different styles of fins for 10 different environments. You don't need a bunch of fancy, you know, techniques and straps and add-on thrust oh. modulators to add on to your fins to increase You can buy a thrust modulator? <laughs> when at the end of the day, what you probably need is a couple of hours in the water with an instructor who can show you what clean technique really looks like. And I couldn't agree more. You need to have your eyes open. You need to see it. And you need a little coaching, especially in the beginning, just to get, okay, this is how you do it. Let's uh, see how you're working and uh, get you pointed in the right direction. And with a little practice, a little experience, good things happen. All right, everybody. Well, there you go. That's uh, this week's show about faster, longer, and stronger, the secrets of better fin performance. And what we find out is... At the end of the day, it's really got nothing to do with the fin at all. Right. If you have good technique, good balance, buoyancy, trim, and a uh, a couple of kicks you can go to, a couple of tools and a couple of tools in your toolbox, exactly, you'll be, you'll be ready to go. Yeah, you you'll find that you can look good and propel yourself in almost any fins. Now, some fins seem to do it better than others. In my experience, I like a wider, stiffer fin that has a little snap at the very tip. When I mean by snap, it's got a little bit of flex at the tip. A little, a little bit of a whip. Right. So that gives you that little extra push away. All right, everybody. Let's uh, call it a week. Brandon, you want to assign some logbooks? Uh, yeah, old, old Finzy James. Old Finzy. Looking good with those power modulators hooked onto your fins there. Where do I get myself a set? These are, uh, this is the new double action pump struts. Uh <laughs> Yeah, good, yeah. Like it seems like charged. It seems like everybody's coming up with a product for uh, for the scuba world. You know, outside of scuba nowadays, these are from Goodyear. They uh, are coming in. Uh, they're coming into the scuba fin market here too. But um, I, Brando, I noticed that when I unzipped your dry suit, you know, sh- zipper there for you, the uh, the clone quality fragrance that emerged. From uh, from those not at all sweaty balls of yours, uh, because of your crop reviver, um, pleasant pleasantries is all I can think. Pleasantries, pleasantries, nice. Well, I'm I'm trying to turn over a new leaf and be the freshest smelling, smoothest. You're the freshest smelling dive buddy a guy could have. That's goddamn right. I will see you next week, everybody. Same uh, spring strap channel, same fin stabilizer time. That work. A little stupid. That'll work. Perfect. Okay, well, whatever. I'll make up something different. <laughs> All right, man. Same dead horse channel. Same baseball bat that we're beating it with time. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, what? What? 